Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. Because sometimes if an audience doesn't laugh, it could be, it's not funny. That's the worst case. You should still try it and try it in different parts of your set. Could be you're saying it too fast and the people aren't understanding the words. You're not articulating it enough or enunciating. Um, and so record the audio. And then when you're listening back to it, if you're like, okay, I can hear what I'm saying and it's still not getting the laughs. What can I do now to go back and get to the joke quicker? Hot breath. All right, hot breath of verse. Welcome back to the Hot Breath Podcast, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and today's guest embodies the spirit of Hot Breath. We are all about cultivating the next generation of great comics, and today's guest certainly falls into that category. With that gritty DIY approach, we always love to see here in comedy. Comics out there creating their own success. He's doing so many different projects. He breaks down so many different ways that you too can start to pursue multiple projects. And most recently, he has an album release that I ordered. It's absolutely hilarious. It'll be linked in the show notes for you to pick up and support a fellow comedian. But without further ado, this episode was recorded live in our Facebook group in our Q&A series. So if you want to get involved in more Q&As moving forward and also join our daily writing contest and more, go into the show notes and select join the Hot Breath Facebook group and we'll link you in so you can start connecting and learning from comics around the world. But without further ado, there is only one thing left to do and that is inhale a hot breath <sighs> with Ricky and start Glora. And without further ado, Ricky Glore, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for him, everyone. Thank you so much, Michael Sarah. Yeah, he's <laughs> starting with a roast. And I've got to... Um, <laughs> let me get... No, I do not roast. I am like, I would <laughs> never put myself in a roast. I am not a roast comic. People who can do it, great. Like, I can't. That's just, that's the only one I have for, for tonight. Oh, I see. See, shots fired. And then you're like, but not, not me, not little innocent old me. And then just a flag waved right, immediately. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll let that slide because you're a special guest here. But, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I've been to known to be cut out of a Comedy Central taping of Roast Battles. So don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> don't let the hair fool you. I've got jokes that didn't make the cut That's for cool. Comedy Central. So not to brag. <laughs> it's all good. So let us get into this Q&A with Yogi Bear here. And we will see Yogi Bear. Did nobody see? Get that For me. Burn. Hey, boo -boo. Okay. You're going to pick in a biscuit. I was trying to roast you, but then yeah. nobody laughed. If I'm Yogi, you are definitely Boo Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about head up a bear cartoons that aren't relevant. <laughs> Remember that? Didn't they do a Dan Aykroyd in like. Justin Timberlake semi live action Yogi Bear movie. Did they? Like in like 2007. Am I crazy? Like it came and went like real quick. Oh, 
Like on the heels of like Scooby Doo live action. I don't know. I mean, yes, I you are crazy, but I don't know if that's part of it. <laughs> what I'm doing, I'm actually adjusting. I remember in our last Q&A here on Zoom that I had to adjust, <laughs> like, there's a green bar that, you know, will show up in the middle of Zoom. Yeah. And people were like, you got to hide that green bar. So this is me right, here we live on air. <laughs> Fill in some space with some useless movie knowledge of movies I've never seen. Uh, Yogi Bear semi-live action movie did come out in 2010, uh, very much in the vein of like the Scooby-Doo movies with Matthew Lillard, mm -hmm. starring uh, Dan Aykroyd as Yogi Bear and Justin Timberlake as Boo Boo and Tom Cavanaugh as Ranger Smith. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, with that useful knowledge, <laughs> everyone left the chat. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone's done now. Let's um let's get into you, Ricky. And I, I I love I mean, first off, I just I'm a fan and I'm always like keeping an eye out for comics that are just willing to just do things. Like it's very easy in comedy to like get lost in process or what if or but that's hard or I don't know how. But I really enjoy seeing comedians like you who are like just willing to just do things, you know, and create and really just try and it's working out with all the success you've had and it's only just the beginning with this new album but i would really be curious just to yes yes and go um go support his album as well that'll be linked in the show notes i just bought it everyone should buy it if you're a fan of comedy go support i actually got one of the limited edition uh signed ones so oh got one okay of signed ones not to brag oh. or anything but Get some liner notes. Get some extra pictures of me with my baby. Yeah. Daddy got a stimulus check from the government. He just blew it on Ricky Glore's <laughs> signed album. No, but honestly, if you're a fan of comedy, definitely go support what Ricky's doing here because it's an inspiration for all of us comics to really just, you don't have to wait on anyone. Get out there and do it. So just to start off with, can you, can you give us a little context? Yeah, about like, um, how long you been doing comedy? I mean, how this album came to be kind of like your journey. Yeah, I'll give you a, a little bit of a cliff notes version, because I said before we started, I could, I could ramble. I could I could start from the the time that my mom and dad met at a bar and started flirting with one another before I was a gleam in their eye. But I won't. Um, I started doing stand up in 2005 at uh, Newport on the Levee Funny Bone, one of the Funny Bone franchises, mm -hmm. which is owned by the Improv and Levity, Levity Live, that group. And I, it was one of those shopping mall kind of comedy clubs. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a Forever 21. There's a Hot Topic in there. And it was in Northern Kentucky right on the river. I was going to college, and I desperately wanted to be on the college improv team. And I auditioned, and I didn't make it. Because my trajectory in my head was get a theater degree, then go to Chicago, do improv in college, mm -hmm. go to Chicago, do improv Olympics, do second city. And then I'll be on SNL. Like I'll work for SNL in some way. I'll change their waste paperbacks baskets. Mm -hmm. I'll do something for SNL. Uh -huh. So when that didn't happen, I went in a little bit into panic mode. Cause I was like, okay, I have this creativity that I want to get out. Um, but how can I do that? I want to entertain so a friend of mine said, well, you know, they're offering stand-up classes at Funny Bone. And as much as I enjoyed stand-up, some of my favorites being 
Seinfeld, Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, Steve Martin. I, um, I wasn't sure what the technique was to do it. Mm-hmm. Even though I was a writer and I had done theater, I had never written something for myself at that moment. So I went to the class and the comedian teaching it was Jeff Jenna, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's been in the business forever. And every facet, kind of like you're talking about, like television, movies, touring. He has a dry bar special out as well. So wow, check that okay. out. Yeah. On the dry bar. Um, so when I took the class, the first class, Jeff started talking to us and he said, okay, there's like 30 of you here. If, if any of you came here thinking that I will make you funnier than what you are, then you need to not come to the next class, which the next class they start charging. I love that. And he said, because the only thing I can do, he said, I can give you an outline of writing prompts and make you get on your feet and talk in front of the class for three minutes every class. You're guaranteed to talk in front of the class based off a writing prompt you had the week before. Mm-hmm. He said, but that's all I can do. He said, and then I can give you guidance for your voice. But he's like, I'm going to tell you now, finding the voice is the hardest thing to do. Um, so he's like, I can give you experience. And that means you don't have to necessarily go to open mic bars. You still need to do that, but you'll also have this. And at the end of the class, it culminates in a showcase at the comedy club on a Wednesday night. And the room's packed because it's filled with people that you've been telling you're taking this class. Exactly. So it's everyone. It's the best possible audience. People who are attentive and just want to see everyone succeed. Um, so I took that class. And then I loved going and seeing stand up there. They used to offer a, I think it's first show Friday, first show Saturday. You could be 18 and up and go see a show. Mm-hmm. But then they changed it to 21 and up for all shows. And Kentucky has a weird law, weird liquor law, that you can be 19 and a day and be a server and work a place that is just 21 and up. So I put in an application to work there and got hired so I could see all the shows because I wasn't 21 yet. Smart. And then, you know, I did, uh, I did open mics. I did any wednesday show that they had there at the club which are usually sparsely attended you sign up you know a couple weeks in advance you get your five minutes but at least you're at a club and you know there's a light and it's the stage and uh because i worked there i got to hound the gm and i said you know i do stand up and he's like oh god the last thing we need is another <laughs> work here who wants to do this mm-hmm. and i said yeah but i, I think i'm getting all right uh on one of the Wednesdays that you have the open mics here, can you watch my set and see if I'm good enough to MC? So we did. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you're good enough to MC, like no skin off my ass, you know? Um, and so from that moment forward, the first weekend I did was in 2005 for finesse Mitchell. And then pretty much anytime any SNL cast member or anyone who would touch the show came through, I would like, put dibs on the on the dry erase board so to smart. see if I could MC for them. And I, I mean, I could name drop everybody that I got to MC for, but it was such a cool learning experience in seeing how comics use their energy on stage, especially mm-hmm. as headliner sets. Mm-hmm. They don't waste, you know, like someone like Jim Brewer, which was, I had already been MCing for a couple years 
a quick story. This was, it was the Thursday night and neither Jim or the feature act were there. And the sound guy came down, Mike, and he was like, Jim and the feature act aren't here. Uh, you got to go on stage, which at that time I could only do like 12 minutes. <laughs> and he's like, ah, I'm going to, if you're done with your set and they're not here, I'm going to blinky light you to keep going, do crowd work. And I'm like, okay. Um, and he's like, but if I hard light you, if I just leave it on, they're here. Introduce, just say, and ladies and gentlemen, your feature com- comic tonight, mm-hmm. because they didn't know who was coming. So then the music starts like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Funny Bone Comedy Club. Are you here? <laughs> yes. And it's a Thursday. And so that's playing. <laughs> and I'm already in my head like, okay, how much more than 12 minutes do I have? Do I have jokes that I've thrown away that I could put in the middle because they're not as strong, so I want to sandwich them? Mm-hmm. And as I'm doing this, as I'm like sitting there like Rain Man trying to do some like quantum physics of jokes – uh, Jim Brewer comes running up to me and he's like, Hey man, I'm Jim. Uh, we only have a feature act this weekend. So you do 30 minutes and then just bring me up. Okay. Have a great show. Oh. And then leaves. And I'm like, I don't have 30 minutes. Right. And I've never just brought up, you know, usually you do the announcements you know, the specials of food, you say Eddie Griffin's going to be here next weekend. So get your tickets now. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like Bruce Bruce? Cause he's coming at the end of the month, you know, um, how long into your career and, was this, by the way? I think I was, this was two years in two years in doing 30 minutes unexpectedly yeah, for, in front of Jim Brewer, <laughs> a sold out weekend. Like yeah. the weekend's already sold out before I start. Oh my so, gosh. So there's that. Also with that is, you know, do you know the um, Jerry Seinfeld documentary, Comedian? Of course. Yeah, yeah. The Orny Adams, right? That movie paints a very specific picture of Orny. Um, The movie Comedian with the commentary with Colin Quinn and Seinfeld and the movie itself are kind of my comedy Bible. Every, Every about six months I watch it, either the commentary or just the movie. Mm hmm. Uh, I still do just to brush up on some bits of wisdom that Orny puts out there in Seinfeld and other comics put out there. Um, Orny was coming through the funny bone and this is like 2009. So I've been doing comedy for four years. I'm featuring now some when the headliners aren't bringing in their, uh, their features, but Orny's coming through and I'm not working that weekend. I'm not performing and I'm not serving. So I went and saw the show on a Thursday night. And I was talking to him afterwards and he said, Oh, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a server here, but I also do stand up." And I was already predispositioned from hearing some other stories about Orny and seeing the documentary to think that he might be a little bit of a diva mm-hmm. um, or a little bit difficult. And I'm talking to him and he's talking to me like a peer, even though he has no idea who I am. Great. And I'm not giving him any credentials. And he says, oh, great, you're a comic too? He's like, you want to come and do uh, guest sets this weekend? And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, just come every show. And he's like, and you can do a 10-buck guest set, and I'll make sure that whatever you want to eat or drink, that the green room takes care of. Wow. And then, so I invited my parents to come see the Sunday night show because the sweetest thing about a guest set is you go on after the MC. So you kind of have that cushion like you would a feature act. Um, There's no expectations because they introduce you as being a very special guest is on the show tonight. So the audience is like, oh, I don't know who it is, but maybe he's someone special. Um, 
And Orny did one of the best 50 minutes of comedy that I've ever seen of like energy material was so good. And his generosity just blew me away because Friday night I could have gone up for a show and been like, Orny Adams sucks and dropped the mic and walked away. And, but you know, he heard I was a comic felt good about giving someone a slot on the show. You know, maybe he was working new material so he didn't have his full headliner. I don't know what the reason was. He was just super nice. But how did so, the okay. how did the 30-minute set go with Jim Brewer? It was good. I uh, it taught me it learned it taught me how to talk slower. Nice. I got through it. I definitely, you know, I kind of talked to uh, Brewer that weekend about like, oh, I've never done that much. He's like, oh, you're doing good. And he's like, I think you should do more on this. I think you should do more on that. Wow. Comedians, most of the time, if they're, what I learned was, and this might not always be true, if you heard of them, most of the time, they're pretty decent people. If they're up and coming and you haven't heard of them, they're good people. If you've kind of heard of them, like they were on that sitcom once in like 96, it's a lot of times they were dicks, but that's not like name dropping anybody. But like, so that taught me a lot. And after I was house and seeing and featuring for a while, I then graduated college and went to Chicago where I kind of did stand up for a little bit, but I put it on the back burner. I was doing a lot of improv, doing Second City Improv Olympics. My first week there, I was serving at Second City and I got to see Lauren Michaels, Seth, Meyer, Seth Myers, Michael, uh, Michael Shoemaker and uh, Higgins come and watch uh, people performing in shows to cast them for SNL wow. three days in a row, my first wow. week up there. So that was stupid surreal. But then I performed, I wrote musicals. I did a lot of storefront theater and I did a lot of improv, which I kind of stopped doing when I realized that people didn't put the time and thought to it in as much or the commitment. So I got more into theater again. And then when I moved back to Kentucky in 2017, I was like, okay, I want to do stand-up again, and I want to start working on a headliner set and start pushing myself to get 45 minutes. And so from 2017 to this past February was just laser-focusing on that. Hmm. And this, this can really um, tie into our first question as well and thinking of I got um, – I asked you, like, kind of how you got started and everything – and this actually helps in terms of word economy of answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because one of the tips I have for young standups is to write it out and then go through with a pen or delete words that you can delete and the, the joke still makes sense. Uh-huh. Even though I don't do that with my answers. But yeah, I just thought that would be a perfect segue into the first question. But you did preface this with that you like, and it was all relevant information. I just thought it was a good opportunity to um, throw a little I, jab. Yeah. You came out swinging with Michael Sarah. I'm on my toes now. Uh, I cannot be the first and only person who's ever said that. Oh, no. I've, I've taken photos as Michael Sarah before. Like, <laughs> I just played along. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do have more questions as well, but we'll get to people's questions as they come in. But this one comes from Mike yeah. Jackson. And he asks, uh, I write daily, but I think my setups are still too long. Any advice for a shorter yet clear setup? Yeah, avoid asking questions. I'm not sure if Mike does this. Um, I think 
the quickest way to kill a joke is to ask a question or to ask the audience because they're all uh they are you're never gonna an answer from the audience is never gonna dictate where you're going unless you're riffing so don't ask a question like who here has done this it doesn't matter you're the thing you're going to be talking about, you're probably talking about because it's so relatable that everyone has done it. Or if they haven't, you're going to present it in a way that's going to sound like the juxtaposition of something that is supernatural. And like, what, everyone does this, right? No one does this, you know? So I think eliminating anything that you question, the thing I said before, and this is the Seinfeld thing, is write it, depending on if you, if you physically write or if you type. Um, I usually type mm. and then i handwrite to memorize um and then i go back for a third step is to then type it again with what i remember um th- and then check back and see how close it was huh. because i really like for cadence and for flow um i like to know what it is i think uh there's a lot of different kinds of stand-ups some stand-ups do are incredibly naturalistic I feel like I'm more of a vaudeville stand-up. I'm a song and dance man. Like, I like to do everything. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on Open Crosby. Like, I grew up on Marx Brothers and stuff and loved watching the monkeys growing up. And so I like kind of giving a whole show. Um, to answer more of the writing, go through and literally eliminate any word that you can and keep on reading it until you've eliminated all the words you can without it sounding like broken speech. Um, I would say setups and segues are not as important as people make it seem to be. Hmm. That if you feel that it's a weird segue, as long as the timbre of your voice and the tone of your voice has made it clear that you're moving on, then do that. And don't worry also in the performing aspect of the material that you feel like is a little too long is if something doesn't get a laugh or response that you think it needs, you're hopefully recording the audio of yourself. Cause I don't think videos is important. You don't need a tight five video to send to NBC when you're first starting off. I like the branded mug. I just saw oh, it. Cause you heard snap. We out here. Do you sell it? Do you sell this yeah, somewhere? Yeah, on my website, joelbyerscomedy.com. Buy that. That's a hot. That's a hot mug. <laughs> um, I think audio because audio is so important. I think when you're starting off and you're doing a lot of five to ten minute sets, not you're not listening for laughs a lot. I think what you should be listening for is do you understand what you're saying by hearing the audio. Because sometimes if an audience doesn't laugh, oh God, it could be a hundred different permutations and reasons. It could be, it's not funny. That's the worst case. You should still try it and try it in different parts of your set. Could be you're saying it too fast and the people aren't understanding the words. You're not articulating it enough or enunciating. Um, And so record the audio And then when you're listening back to it, if you're like, okay, I can hear what I'm saying and it's still not getting the laughs. What can I do now to go back and get to the joke quicker? The second city rule of writing sketch comedy is that you start at the most interesting point. 
So if it's a husband and wife scene where the wife is going to give pregnant or is going to give birth to the baby in the scene, start with her giving birth. Like don't start with them leading up being like, Oh, I think I'm going to have the baby today. It's like, no, get to the most interest. What is the crux of your scene? So I think if you start there in a joke with the littlest lead up, you don't have to make sure that the audience is on the same page. You don't have to make sure that the audience has seen every season of game of Thrones, just like whatever you're talking about, just get to it. Like they'll be on board. Yeah. And another one that I find helpful is also understanding what you're even trying to say with the joke. So like, what is the premise of the joke? What, what are you even trying to say can really help to start to, edit out those unnecessary words like Ricky was talking about. But that's something that comes up in the right 10 club that it's like a, a daily writing mm -hmm. challenge we do in this Facebook group where we get a random word and then write for 10 minutes and see who can, you know, write funny jokes when we give feedback. But the big thing is a lot of the times if the joke is too wordy, it's because the comic doesn't even know exactly what the premise of the joke is. So it's good to reverse back to what am I even trying to say? And that'll help majorly reverse engineer. Yeah. Where's your punch and how long did it take for you to get there? Yep. How strong is the punch and how dramatic and performative is your lead in to get to that punch? Mm -hmm. Is it entertaining? Is it filled with jokes as, as well? Um, another great way now that we have Twitter is even it doesn't matter about like, oh, well, why should I write? Like, no one's following me. No one's retweeting. No one's liking. Doesn't matter. Send it out into the ether and it's there. Granted, be sure that you're not just diarying. And if you do touch any bit of success five years from now, that you don't have this random racist tweet or homophobic tweet, but use that because that is a, that is, they're putting permutations on you of how many words you can say. So if you're trying to write to entertain in that avenue, then you're really writing, probably distilling the joke to the longest that it needs to be in a performance. And then what's great about it is if you follow a lot of comedians or you have comic friends, they might inspire you with the tags they put on it. Because hmm. comics love nothing more than replying with the joke that they're like, mm, I think this one's funnier. Um, which may then go to you be like, oh, that doesn't fit my voice or where I'm going, but that does make me think that it could be this. Or if it's a really good tag that you like, that you're like, man, that really does help this joke, message them. Or if you know them, talk to them. Say, would you mind if I use this joke? And 90% of the time, they'll be fine with it. The 10% of the time is if you don't ask them and then they hear it or see about it, later of you perpetuating that it's something you came up with that's just bad you know that's bad business yeah i would be interested to even yeah. jump into the business side a little bit and touching on you saying if you blow up and then in five years like they see this racist tweet like something i'd i'm uh i admire about you is like your your branding like your dry bar special is dad bod your album is spitting image and there's an image of you with a microphone holding your baby. There's like, you have a great website that's very well polished. Like you seem to not only focus on the craft, but also in show business, the show, but also the business side of this game. So do you, do you have any insight or it's, it's just, 
I've noticed that for myself as well. Like I try to be mindful of it because I feel like so many comics overlook that. So I really notice it when a comic, like my comedy special is called The Trophy Husband. Like I'm really working on branding and it, so like it seems like that's something you're focused on as well. Uh, where did that come from? And like, what kind of tips do you have for how you were able to develop such a cohesive brand identity? I think a, a little bit of it, since I mentioned before about being such a fan and a student of the monkeys, they are a prefabricated group that was that were extremely four talented people who were then packaged by two people, two producers and creators that were trying to buck the system at the time. Um, Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider. I'm going to mention things that aren't going to matter to anybody, but if you were to look into it, they weren't cigar chomping guys. They were hippie guys. Bert Schneider was the son of Abe Schneider who ran columbia studios back in the 60s so he was kind of a hippie guy you know bob rafelson and bert schneider spun the money they made for the monkeys and made five easy pieces an easy rider they started turning hollywood on its head of being these indie produced movies that are actually speaking to the counterculture mm. but what they did with the monkeys is they recognized what was unique about each one they didn't say, let's do the Beatles on TV and this guy's Ringo, this guy's Paul, this guy's John. They went, no, Mike Nesmith. He's got a Southern drawl. He's kind of a Jimmy Stewart quality. Let's not make him be something he's not. Let's use this guy. Davy Jones. Oh, he's cute. He's small. He's unassuming. He is going to be our teen heartthrob. Mickey Dolan's little goofy looking, kind of funny, good voice. Like, they knew what they had and they didn't fight against it. This goes in, I think the business of being your own promoter as a comedian is one of the hardest things that comics strive for, which is the comics voice. And I don't know. I don't have my voice down pat. Um, I've read, I mean, I know you're not supposed to, I've read the comments on the dry bar clips that they put on YouTube where, you know, 60,000 people have watched it and commented or whatever. And like, you're not supposed to read the comments, but like a couple people are like, this guy's delivery sounds like he's asking a question every time he's talking, even though I said, don't ask questions. Um, <laughs> so like, I read that though, and I want to take into account, I'm like, does my voice have that roller coaster kind of like, da 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 da? Like, uh? mm -hmm. like maybe it does. And maybe that's something I need to work on. But the thing I have found in my voice is not trying to be something that I'm not, especially in stand-up. I'm growing in the sense of there are some topics that on my next hour I am going to talk about or I'm going to try and maybe it's not going to work. And I don't consider it pandering, but there's a segment on guns that I want to try to work out. But I also know as a comic, I'm not going to put it at the beginning of my set and I'm not going to put it at the end of my set. I'm going to put it right in the middle. So hopefully you already like me for my first 15 minutes. So then this next five minutes where I talk about guns isn't incredibly polarizing, but could clench a couple buttholes mm -hmm. in the audience, depending on where I'm playing. And then when I'm done with it, hopefully, you know, you aren't so offended by what I said, because I don't think it is offensive that you're still with me. Maybe you even thought it was funny and you didn't, think it was as political as it was but then i'm going to finish out and you're not even going to remember that bit if you didn't like it but for the business side of things talking about starting off at the funny bone 
doing open mics and emceeing, I've gone through my old uh, black and white notebooks, those uh, composite notebooks, and I didn't talk about anything personal, probably uh, until I actually started back up again in 2017. I had the Burt Reynolds story that you can hear on the album that they cut from Dry Bar, which is interesting, which I think it's because it's about stealing and the Mormons didn't want to talk about stealing, right. uh, which is super interesting. Um, but like I had that story that happened to me. I went to Campbell County High School in Kentucky where our mascot was a camel and our colors were purple and gold. That had all happened to me. When I was first starting off in stand-up, I recognized that that was funny and that was funny to me, but nowhere in my mind did, could I access and think that that was worthy material to present to an audience. So I look back at my old notebooks and I'm weirdly dirty, mm-hmm. not vulgar, but like mm-hmm. cursing a lot and stuff. And I don't typically curse a bunch when I talk. Um, there's no reason for it. I'm not incredibly religious. Um, I'm agnostic. I believe there's something. I don't know what it is. So uh, it, it astonishes me anybody that's like, this is my religion and anything else is wrong. But as long as your religion doesn't hurt somebody else, it tells you to go cause someone else pain. Doesn't bug me. Well, when did you but try so like, to start packaging it into like an actual business? I mean, dad bod and spitting it. Like you're clearly being, I, I like like you're saying, well, when I started getting more personal on stage, I started to figure out what was unique to me. That's when you seem to really start yeah. getting traction. So is that from the branding side of like, what is unique about me? And then how can I almost just create not a character, but almost like an identity, an like exaggerated a, version of myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, it also came with embracing with what I like doing on stage and not feeling shameful from other comedians boom! right like no how many times has the comedian gone up with a with a guitar and an open mic or whatever and every comic in the audience who's who has already gone up or is about to go up is like oh here's this hacky comedian with a guitar guilty Guilty. i've done it too (laughs) i 100 percent have done it and yes a lot of times they will prove you right, you know, <laughs> but there are your there are your Stephen Lynches who you don't hear about much anymore. There are your Adam Sandlers who you know who can destroy and be incredibly you know prolific with their comedy with an instrument. There can be your Dimitri Martins or your Zach Galifianakis's mm-hmm. who incorporate their instrument in such a way that you think of that instrument being their appendage like when like there's a comic that who got compared to dimitri martin and it burned him up starting off is mike berbiglia uh he hated everyone in new york when he went to new york when he moved from washington was like hey you're really good you know you should check out mike berbiglia and he's like i know i've heard that before um but so do you remember have you watched berbiglia's early stuff not much. He closes his show. He closes his show by playing a guitar, oh. and like that seemed a little Dimitri Martin esque of the kind of like the late '90s, early 2000s scene, where I would guess Dimitri Martin is musically inclined, as Berbiglia probably plays guitar but isn't 
that super, you know, experienced on it. But I think those guys were also trying to find something that they could do so their name wouldn't be likened to like Mitch Hedberg all the time, who is another comic very much like them, did a lot of one-liners. Now, Burbiglia, flash forward, not to diminish Dimitri Martin, he still performs, but like Burbiglia shifted into being a one-man show where he's telling these long stories. So I feel like he evolved into a com- the comedian, the entertainer that he wanted to be, you know, with the films that he's making too that are incredibly personal, that I really respect. But then there are stand-ups who are naysayers and are like, oh, well, what Hannah Gadsby does and what Mike Birbiglia does, that's not stand-up. That's one-man show. And it's like, is there goal to entertain and make you laugh? Like, is that the first bullet point? I think so. So why isn't that a variation of stand-up? Where like, if you went to a if you went to a video store, which you can't anymore, <laughs> and you saw the horror, or if like you looked on Netflix, horror movies, there are subgenres of thriller, suspense, mystery. A lot of times are considered horror. Why aren't those those subgenres are just as valid? is a movie just labeling itself as horror. So why can't that be the same thing for performance and hmm. like stand-up? Whether it's a musical stand-up, whether it's someone who does impressions. Am I going to do impressions in my next hour? Maybe, like, I have a Jack Black impression that I started working on after this hour happened that I was like, oh, maybe I'll do. I have a Patrick Stewart dramatically reading uh, Ice Ice Baby hmm. that didn't make it into this thing. And like, but then I think I'm like, but I also, you know, I do Sean Connery, which people can be like, oh, everyone does Sean Connery. Like, I don't do Christopher Walken because it didn't, I don't, I like Christopher Walken, but it doesn't connect to me the way that like Sean Connery dramatically reading Safety Dance does of like my love for James Bond and like the Untouchables. So the branding for me didn't come from, well, I need to brand to really, you know, isolate it down to the singularity of this package that I need to sell. It just, it went with being a writer and I'm like, well, what's the narrative? Mm. Well, the narrative is this. And, you know, like for Drybar, I gave them the picture of me. They did a photo session and that's whatever picture they have of me holding a microphone, looking way thinner than I actually am. I'm like, that's it. I think they made me skinnier. Um, but like I gave them a picture of me with uh, Anna, my daughter, in the front pouch, the one that I ended up using for my album. And they asked me, what do I want to call the album? And I said, I think dad bod, because that's a joke that happens very early on. I think that's, yes, it is trying to think of like, oh, what's a, a hashtag or like something that is talked about a lot in an easy sell. Because I also, they took pictures of me playing the ukulele which they didn't use this, the song I played in the special. So luckily I told them, I was like, I don't think you want to get many pictures of me playing the ukulele. I only play one song at that time for the special. Cause it's only 20, they only record 25 minutes, but they ended up not using it anyway. So it's good. Mm. But like, I, I, I wanted it to be something that wasn't um, misleading to anyone who might click it to. Like, I didn't want a title 
to be something that might make someone think that like I'm an edgy comic because then they're going to click play looking for like, you know, someone who's talking about politics. There's like finger on the pulse and is really cool. That's not how I would perpetuate myself. So I was like, dead bod. It's a joke that happens like in the first 10 minutes. Um, I talk about a lot at the top. They're going to click it. They're going to hear that dad bod joke. They're going to hear talk, me talking about my daughter. They're not, it's not going to be a bait and switch. Uh, yeah. And it sounds like, um, and thank you everyone posting with your, your questions here. I will get to them after this one, because this is something I've been curious about. And, uh, Glenn tickle actually just posted a link. He posted a link to, um, Ricky's album that you can go pick up. But, um, Glenn is a fantastic comic. Please watch his, if you have Amazon yep. prime, good grief. I got it. The special, the special that he did about his brother's passing. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a, a specific show that could be about something that you click and be very sad when you read, when you read the description. But I think it makes, it's a, it's very cathartic. I'm, I knew it was cathartic for Glenn, but cathartic for you in any loss you've had big or small watching it to find the cathartic nature of humor, even if it's not your own of relying on humor to help you express your emotions through whatever tragedy, like I said, big or small that you've had in your life. So yeah, he has a dry bar coming out too. I think it should be within the next couple months. Yeah, a lot of people are fantastic. getting these dry bars. What it sounds like. How are they getting these? No, I, no I'm not like jealous. I'm just thinking like, um, um, like what it, what's the deal with this dry bar? Like, it seems like what's the deal with these dry they bars? Record it, but then it seems like they have full ownership. Do you just get paid a flat fee? Do you get part of the back end? What's the what's the payment structure on this dry bar deal they're throwing away? Not throwing away, but like the, throwing out there that a lot of people see value in. Yeah, how their business acumen of how exactly they make money. I couldn't probably, I couldn't give you a good dissertation on that. For the comedian, you get uh, all expenses paid. You do two shows in one night. Uh, They are now doing them. They used to do 40 minutes. They're now doing 20 to 25 minutes. The hardest thing is I know that it's a clean show and they're stringent on the subject of material. Like I said, Jeff Jenna was my stand-up coach. I've opened for him and worked with him. He's been a little bit of a mentor because he already did one. I sent him my show and he very graciously uh, watched it and read my set and gave me notes and pointers of where like he thought things should go or because I was already working on a headliner set when I got booked for it last July. And then I recorded in September. Um, So I knew it would be 25 minutes of my 45 minute headliner show. So I was like, Ooh, okay. I want to do like my best first 10 and my best like cobbled last 15 to make that 25 and not do the middle or, and not do things that I knew they wouldn't be cool with. But they they fly you out there and then they charge on the app. So do you get a cut of t- some, like every time no, you pay? No, do not charge on the app. Oh, the app, the app is, is free. free. Okay. The app is free. So you can watch how many ever specials that they have for free. They charge if you want to download it and own it 
via like if you were to rent it yeah. um it's not renting though it's like you can watch it whatever for that so you don't have to watch it on your phone you can watch it on your tv mm-hmm. or whatever kind of like amazon yeah. prime um so they fly you down all expenses paid they put you up the night before and the night of um and they pay for the rental car if you have to rent a car um they pay you for both shows a decent wage a headliner wage um and there are three people most of the time on the show my night it was steve geyer who's an older comedian who is uh, a gem of a person he's super nice and cam bertram following oh, yeah, me from jacksonville who's this yeah who's like 25 extremely white and has the voice of chris rock yeah. like the sound of him and seeing him couldn't be like diametrically opposed like in any other comedian but he's a delight so imagine seeing me cam and steve an older comedian in one night that's such a different like set of comedians that you would see at any comedy club because they'd never make it that like different of voices um so then yeah they pay you for two nights makeup there's like 10 cameras it's always a sold out show it's packed the audience is amazing they have an mc who recorded the night before so uh if they have a friday show i think they bring in someone from the next day i think that might have been steve who emceed that night or a local comic and then so they slate they give the credits before they bring you out on stage they put you in makeup and hair you get food throughout the day i mean it's the you it's the most taken care of that you'll be oh that's great like until you like do a comedy central special i'm sure it's good to know yeah i've never heard the behind the scenes so that's good but they also don't tell you what you can or cannot do. So like I'm friends with Jeff Jenna and Erica Rhodes who had both recorded a special. So they like said, luckily looked at my stuff and they gave me some pointers. I have a Kentucky creationist bit, bit that doesn't really make fun of the creationist museum. It just talks about it and brings it up. But they both were like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Cause it just mentions religion. Like, and that just might be something that doesn't, you know tickle their fancy Mm -hmm. so i didn't do that so i knew not to do that but i reached out to the producers of dry bar the bookers and i was like hey do you want me to send you a video or the text of what i plan on doing and they're like no we trust you and so there's a little bit of paranoia of like okay i hope i don't do something like i would have never thought that the burt reynolds story would have been something that they wouldn't have been cool about Never know. So let, let's start running through these people's questions here. Uh, we got people popping in th- saying this is great. It's um, Yeah, Mike saying thanks for answering my question. Real helpful. Michelle, um, FYI, really enjoying this interview. Thanks, Joel and Ricky. Um, Jason Irvin saying Ricky is very talented, who has a lot of passion for his craft. Uh, Jake's Jason Irvin was the makeup man before the pandemic uh, happened. We filmed the opening to a horror movie that I wrote and he does hair and makeup and special effects. And unfortunately that has not been able to get edited. It's a, it's a horror movie that I was going to use that opening to try to make the whole thing, get the budget, but he's awesome. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people are enjoying this. So let's 
get to their questions here. <laughs> like, like there's ever going to be people like, this is awful. I, Why is this still going yeah, this on? Isn't, this isn't on YouTube yet, but I, I've this show will be on YouTube, and I've seen enough of our comments to know. Like every every other comment is like, this white boy's laugh is so fake. That's like half of the comments about my my laugh is everyone thinks it's fake. It's not. Michael Sarah yeah. needs to be canceled. <laughs> it's only fake when it's for Ricky. They're real all the other times. Wait. <laughs> so um, let's try to run through these. Bob Jorgensen, he actually just joined uh, the group last week, and he's been in the Right 10 Club every day. So this is um, this is a comic really committed, and he actually started later in life. So he's asking... Do either of you have any advice for a comic starting later in life? Late 40s, married with kids. Yes. Do not um, try to do edgy material. Hmm. I mean, but that's just me as a preference. I've seen a lot of later in life comedians or older people starting off women or men. Um, surprisingly more women than men. And they try to be shocking on stage to elicit a reaction kind of what i would call the um the betty white syndrome or the woman who played the old woman in the wedding singer where they're like oh i didn't i bet you didn't expect for a dad to talk like this um that may serve you in the shows that you're doing but i don't think that's going to serve you for a longevity if this is something you actually want to do so i would just talk about what what makes you laugh like what kind of comedian do you want to be is it a one-liner is it a story like and just really work on that and do as many shows as you can do yeah and i think it and it's hard back to it's that. hard with definitely like a bro club yeah like the bro club of like comics young comics who want to go out and party after every show like you don't have to do that either do the show be nice um push yourself to do shows out of state and this goes for any age of comedian like uh just don't do the same show at the comedy like don't make a um don't make a mecca don't think that the comedy club that you really want to get stage time at is the end-all be-all because one bad thing is that the people who usually run that will never see you beyond the set you did the first time there no matter how good you get, they'll always see you kind of as that comic or that persona or the nerves or the jitters or whatever subjects you talked about. Um, push yourself, book, get two other comics that you think are way better than you and you think it can do more time and do the legwork to book a brewery or a winery once they're open outside, you know, even 30 miles or 100 miles outside of where you live. Drive. Make the arrangements to get paid. Always get paid. Don't do a free show. Get paid something. Because if you're booking two comedians that you think are better than you and the package you're selling and you're saying we're going to do at least an hour to an hour and a half of stand-up, if you're not used to doing MC work, force yourself to MC those first few shows and then start rotating yourself into the feature spot if you can. If you get like a 15 to 20 minutes and book live entertainment for these places that are the new modern day coffee house who the breweries and the wineries, the best thing about them is they have alcohol. 
They usually have some sort of appetizer or food, which makes them destinations where people just don't pass through. They'll stay and they'll ha- they'll hang out a little bit. And some for some places, they're always in the cornfields of these cities. But that could be a couple's night out, their date mm-hmm. night. So put together a good show and treat it like it is a show at a comedy club, even though you don't need stage lights, you don't need the best sound system. Get a couple speakers and a microphone and bring your own equipment. So when the place is like, oh, we'd love to book you for $300 where each comedian gets $100 or something, or you get $150 to cover your gas if you're driving. Um, and they're like, well, we don't have equipment. Be like, oh, it's okay. We got a microphone and speakers. And you bring the show to them. And they're like, great. Because they're going to get a little bit of extra money. And it's up to them. Get a flat fee. Don't do a door fee. Your show is better than that. Granted, the audience is always paid more by just showing up. If they want to do a free show with you getting a flat fee, that's on them. But be confident in the other comedians that you're bringing and yourself that even as MC, your 10-minute set and your hosting is going to be worth them paying the $300 to get you there and to promote that their venue has live entertainment. Nice. Good advice. Next one is from Glenn Tickle. He asks, uh, why did you want to go through a label instead of self-releasing your album? Hmm. Um, because I was Googling how, uh, what labels were good for young comedians. And I came across an article where Glenn Tickle was spotlighted for self-releasing and creating a record label just for himself. And that that the album did. Yeah. And so his album did so well that when billboard 100 called him, to get to verify the information on the record label that the album was being, being released on, he had to give it a name to which he said circus trapeze records, which is a joke in his act on, on that album. So then began him starting a, a label mostly for comedians who, who know who already, he already knew who he already had a lot of the paperwork for. And they were like, well, I'd like put an album to sell at shows. And he was like, okay, yeah. Okay. Join mine. Um, I'll do it because you know me and you know, we're, we're friends and we won't screw each other and blah, blah, blah. If there's something that you don't like, we'll make it right. So I reached out to him and I was like, look, I legit want to release an album and I want a, a label that would be enthusiastic behind releasing mine. And I contacted him before dry bar. I had been on Bob and Tom. I had written for IFC, but except for name dropping some people I opened for, I really didn't have any credits. And kind of like in theater, a resume is only as good as much that you can substantiate, like how good you are to match the resume. It's just piece of paper with credits. Um, If you don't have the goods, then who cares that you were, you know, Angel and Rent in your community theater production of Rent? It could have been a really bad production and you were the brightest turd. But so I reached out to Glenn and I said, oh, I really like your album and I listened to it before reaching out to him. Would you be interested in producing mine? I got this form letter. It was very much, you know, like when you read an email, you're like, Oh, this is copy and paste. And like, 
my name has been like inserted like dear ricky you know um saying if you read the thank you so much for reaching out if you read the article i detailed how it's way more beneficial for you to release it yourself and blah 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 and do all this and do all this thank you for reaching out glenn tickle and i said cool yeah i get that i don't want to do that because i do it enough i am my own agent and book or whatever i also not to pat myself on the back like i want the prestige of a label being interested in what i'm doing to get behind so it's not oh ricky glore you know he's his own biggest promoter he's putting out an album like yeah of course he's putting out like anybody can put out if you want to spend money you can put out an album um and he responded and he was like okay but like let's talk about a little bit more but i really think you should just put it out yourself it's the most beneficiary you know you're on the road you can make more money off of it that way i replied yeah i was like i i still want it to be that way and i said okay how about this i've got a show in upper pennsylvania he's in new jersey i was like at a winery i was like how about if you're interested you come down and feature for me because i already knew he was phenomenal and he's a great headliner himself come feature for me bring an mc whatever you want the pay is this um if you like my show produce the album under the label if you don't or even if you do and you still don't want to fine so he came we had a great time the show was awesome the mic cut out during the MC. So we were micless for the rest of the night in front of like this 150 people. Um, and we had a great time. And afterwards he's like, yeah, he's like, let's do it. So, you know, he said, you know, he, he thinks I'm funny and he likes, you know, what I do, but I would imagine that part of him saw the uh, brand appeal that had to be because from the business side of him, partially you have to look at it that way and go okay if i'm gonna put this work and this money behind this is this gonna be lucrative to me which one of the next moves is he sends it off to sirius xm with it being a completely clean album I, some i don't know if it was glenn someone said to me and i'm gonna misquote numbers it's just for effect the numbers i'm gonna say that they get three thousand submissions a week of explicit comic albums so they can only play so many of those because a lot of people that listen to the comedy and Sirius XM sometimes put the parameters for language I think he he or someone else said they only get 500 or like 200 submissions a week of 100% clean comedians so your percentages of getting picked up and getting money from that because of the ad pay is so much higher. So I would think Glenn being a businessman and thinking that it was funny in his own opinion, because comics have opinions of what they think is funny and is not, which also varies from what their taste is. Like my taste, if you would classify me as, and I'm not saying as talented or funny, as like a Jim Gaffigan or a Brian Regan, that's not necessarily the comics I'm drawn to. Like I like watching a, uh, like I said, a Hannah Gatsby or a John Mulaney who, you know, they're not clean comics. Um, 
But so I would imagine he looked at that and went, okay, even if album sales aren't great or iTunes sales, if I pitch this to Sirius XM, I might get a couple tracks from this that get some airtime and that's where the money comes yeah. in. That's the business answer yeah. of it, which isn't like sexy or glamorous. No, that's what people need to know though. Yeah, that's why that's why it was asked. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next one, we kind of got two people asking similar things. Um, we have Jake Rubel and Mark Mitchell here, both asking about the f- creating a 45-minute set. And uh, Mark asked, how much did you go through to get the 45 minutes? But Jake is asking, and how did you know your 45 minutes was done? He has issues always wanting to keep tweaking his material. So maybe how much material did you have to create? And then when did you know, okay, what I've created is enough and ready? Um, I'm also happy to answer all the questions that they post as long as you're yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. happy to stay this, on. This one was just kind of like them. in the same. Oh, no, I get it. Yeah. Year. I just didn't want you to think like, like, oh, like we're going to have to cut some of these questions. Oh, we got them. No, I mean, those are both, those are both really good questions. And uh, as neurotic as all, even comedians that have their, their shit together um we're all neurotic like so recording this album on february 15th the day after valentine's day show i came from indiana doing a sold out show on valentine's day a show at a winery that dinner was included a glass of champagne was included it's all couples all wanting to have a good night out i was like this could either be the worst show to do before a night of two recordings for an album, also driving, having to drive eight hours the next day to Pittsburgh, or it could be great. It could be the easiest layup of people just wanting to have a good time and it'll give me an energy boost. Ended up being a fine show, but it did get me in my head of like running time and bits and being like, Oh, well that didn't work as well as it usually does. Should I get rid of it? Should I substitute this bit that I haven't done as much? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And this isn't, this is going to happen regardless. Like that's not saying like, don't do a show a night before because if do as many shows as Mm -hmm. you can, but then in Pittsburgh at the club, I think it held a hundred people. And I already knew that the first show was sold out for the album recording. And we're recording both shows and Glenn was featuring, which is cool. great because he's, he's a fantastic, like I said, fantastic comedian. Um, and our styles are different enough that it doesn't feel like you're seeing the, you know, we're both dads. He's a dad of a seven year old and a, a two year old, I think, or three year old. Um, and the MC was uh, the, uh, the couple who runs the comedy club there. And it's got a great vibe. It had a jazz kind of feel. And the first show was sold out and it went great. And it was the show that is the album because the second show was about half full. I don't know why people bought tickets. They knew it was an album recording. Couldn't have acted like they didn't want to be there. Like any, like it was nuts. Like I, I'm not a comedian. I hate comedians who get upset with an audience on stage who berate them for not laughing. It's like, there's no reason for that. Like the my least favorite comedian is the comic who goes on stage, who wants to show you how funny they are. Because for me, and a little bit of what I project on other comics is your number one goal should be there to entertain the person who came. Um, 
and you should do it the best that you can with what you've prepared. Not to be that like that doors couldn't open and you could go to, you could chase rabbits and do improvs that are great and lead your way to like another new five minutes. But the 45 minutes that I did, I had honed, I had done the two dry bar shows. I had already known, I already saw um, a clip of a rough edit of what they were going to release as the special. So a little bit in my mind went, okay, so that's what they think the, the strongest 22 minutes are of the 25, 26 that I did there. Um, narratively, being a playwright and a screenwriter as well, I was like, I think this 45 minutes encapsulates the best story of who I am and the narrative that I'm trying to, to sell or put out there as a show of like a beginning, middle, and end. Um, and at some point, you just have to start going, well, that's the show. I can still write. I can still try stuff. But you kind of have to know what the show is and do it regardless of like the times you want to second guess yourself and be like, well, that didn't work. I should write a whole new bit that fits in here. Granted, like I was still writing some, a couple one-liners throughout the time leading up to the show that I felt fit the narrative and worked well enough every time I did the show up to the day of the show. But like a bit that I used to do. uh, So for two years, the brew crew comedy tour is one of the pages following this. That's a show I did at breweries and wineries where I would book the show and book two other comics and we would rotate every show who was the MC, the feature and the headliner. So we would each stretch our legs at each one of those positions. So that was 2017, 2018. From 2018 to 2019, I told every comedian that I had done those shows with, and I said, hey, I'm going to start being selfish. I'm going to book the shows and make myself the headliner for all the shows because my goal is an album and a special. So I started doing that. So I stretched the legs of the 45-minute set every time we performed. Um, Something I used to do in my set, and I may even go back to for my new hour, is in the middle of my show, I would do a thing called napkin thoughts. Mm. And that's, I would set it up by saying, um, we all have tiny computers. That's my baby, by the way. That's why the album's called Spitting Image. I'm totally, I would say we all have tiny computers in our pockets. I still like to write my thoughts down on napkins. So here are some of my napkin thoughts. And I would legit pull out napkins where I had written one-liners or non-sequiturs on. And that would be about a a six-minute chunk in my act where I would test out new ideas where because of the way I presented the idea of the bit, of them being napkin thoughts, just thoughts, is I could do anything because they didn't have to connect to one another. And then if I came up with multiples that fit the same narrative or the same joke – then I would turn that into a bit and I would move it out of napkin thoughts and I would put it into my act. It's great. Lowers the, so lowers then, the, the, the bar and lowers the pressure on the joke. You're like, yeah, it's just a napkin thought if it works or not. So it gives you a little more freedom to just try, which I sees how wordy you have to be yeah. too. Like, do, yeah. like if I can tell this real short and quick as a one liner and then, Oh, there's three one liners about say, this isn't pertaining to mine, but it's three one-liners about a vacation. 
or a family in a car. Oh, cool. Now it's a vacation mm-hmm. bit. And I can, now it's, this is a three minute chunk that should go together because I think there's um, a comedian that I've worked with a few times who's been in the business a long time, whose success level has only risen so high. He's known in our area for being a comic who's not aware of the audience and he's not aware of cobbling ideas together in his own act. Like he'll talk about something early in his act and then go 10 minutes later and then talk about something similar without acknowledging that he knows it's something, an idea he's already talked about. And so like, I've seen comedians like this besides this specific comedian where it's like, if you just pulled them together or you narratively, if there was a reason why you separated them to make them bookends to a stronger idea, you would look like a mathematician of a performer. Because how many comedians can you think of when they do a callback and they narratively has strung together something that you as an audience didn't even realize that it was the same right. theme yeah. or tone? Yeah, that's important. I think like people are wondering like when to stop tweaking and stuff. Stop- I mean, it's really, in my opinion, like having some sort of deadline, like you're saying, well, I have this recording coming up. I better start doing more headlining sets so I can get ready. Otherwise, like I know, I know Jake is a newer, very new comic and it's like, keep tweaking, keep writing, keep growing. You know, I mean, in my special, you know, I've been doing it 10 years now and like I was doing, I did some jokes that started out as a one liner in year three. And then at year six, it grew into like a three minute bit that I then did in my comedy special, you know, four years later. So it's like they evolve and grow. never get rid of. Yeah. Never get right. rid of bits, like recycle yeah. them, recycle even a line from them. Like, but I think part of that comes from my like screenwriting and playwriting where maybe I'll start writing something and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, partially because I'm ADHD. No, but I will go back to what <laughs> ADD works for me. I'll look at you and then I'll look at. Oh, um, but I will, I will, it's called mining. So you can mine your material where even if you're like, well, I don't do that joke anymore because I've evolved as a comedian. Well, what are you currently doing that needs a punch up of a big laugh or a big joke or a quick joke? Like just a one line. And you go back and you're like, oh, well, I'm talking about dating and I've got this killer one line joke that doesn't, didn't fit with anything else, but I can throw in right here because it works with what I'm talking about when I used to date, but maybe I'm even a different person. Like, um, I don't even think it made it on my album. I cut it because I also questioned if I had heard it before. And this, I'll be candid. I got called out on my dry bar special for doing a joke that people said was a meme. Hmm. Um, and it could very well have been that I didn't remember being a meme and that I thought, I mean, not necessarily like the Dane Cook, like parallel thinking or whatever. I thought it was in retrospect. Now I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I thought that was like a cough, like a, um, a water cooler kind of thing of like, oh yeah, that's something people talk about. But like uh, a joke I made was when talking about online dating with my wife that I had to ask her out on a date because her eyes were beautiful. Her eyes spoke to me. Her eyes said to me that I would, I'd be making, I would regret if I didn't ask her on a date. And, you know, but I swear I'm not like a serial killer. 
because the only thing that serial killer and hopeless romantics have in common is they're always talking about the one that got away. And I thought that was a joke that I maybe had heard before or some variation of, and no matter like how many times I had been doing it, I was like, I don't feel comfortable that this isn't a completely original thought. So I'm going to get rid of it. I'm just going to stop doing it because I have enough other things that go with this bit or whatever that I don't feel guilty or weird about saying it. But that's also to say like, don't type every joke you come up with into Google, just make it so personal or a spin of yours with your verbiage that even everything's been talked about. You can't talk about something that's not been talked about. And there's no reason for you to be an abstract version of who you are. If that's not who you are somewhat as a person or as a defense Mm -hmm. mechanism. So don't overthink yourself. And when we're thinking of writing, like, like you're saying, just keep writing a new ideas. We have a question all the way from Greece here and I cannot pronounce his name. Um, my wife is Greek. Yeah, we have a lot of people from Greece in the my group. My wife is Delionitis. Yeah, yeah, we have a, a lot of comics from Greece that are in the group. And um, he... Interesting. We're all over the world, baby. We're in every continent but Antarctica <laughs> so far. We're going to... Everybody's got hot breath. get there. So he asks, um, when writing one-liners, how can someone find new premises all the time? Puns excluded. <laughs> puns ex- <laughs> he's got a real achilles heel for puns and people are like no no more pun um puns excluded i wrote a thing about hot pockets the other day and someone on twitter again because i use twitter as a notebook kind of if i'm not making notes in my phone um at the bathroom if you're riding public transportation like even when i was in chicago and not doing stand-up all the time, I would sit there and I'd look around and I'd be like, I'd look at shoes, like someone wearing shoes. Like, that's an interesting pair of shoes. Like, what's a joke about shoes? Like, oh, walk a mile in someone's shoes, like, unless they're clown shoes. And then you probably can't walk a mile because that's going to hurt your feet. There's a one-liner. Like, it's maybe not funny, but it's doing word association and it's doing uh, I think one liners are great for observational humor because you only have one line. And for me, they either have to be relatable and then an abstract turn or it's relatable the whole way through. Um, one liners are also good for titters, which titters is a funny word for just chuckles um, to be a nice transition, maybe between bigger ideas. You can do a couple of them or one of them. I wouldn't worry about it being a new thought. Like one thing that I think one bit that came from my album that is about horror movies is what started as a one-liner was that uh, the killers in horror movies never have the body shape of someone like me because you'd always know who the killer was. And so like that turned into like a five minute bit of like, me if i was wearing like the ghost face outfit from scream 
and you're like, mm, which one of these teenagers is the killer? Well, it's the fat kid, Ricky. <laughs> like, clearly, he has 80 pounds on all of us. And while he was chasing us through the woods, he stopped to lean on a tree and breathe really heavy. So, like, that kind of started as uh, a one-liner joke. There is a thing with being too harsh of a self-editor, which kind of goes with what I was saying of, like, don't Google all of your material just to make sure that, like, there's a difference between Carlos Mencia doing a bit from Bill Cosby special that was on DVD and sold in the $5 bins at Walmart. Uh, there's a difference between doing what he has done or even Dane Cook, some of the, the stuff that sounds almost word for word, and then going and doing things that are ubiquitous ideas that happen to all of us, which makes some of the ripest mm-hmm. comedy because there are your interpretations and spin on things. Yes. In your POV. That's, I think that's where a lot that's of it comes from is what is your point of view on things? What is your perspective? And that's where your sense of humor and that's where your voice is really going to start to shine through is when you start looking at what is your personal opinion, point of view, experience. That's when you're going to start finding new premises all the time because you're starting to look for material through the filter of yourself and not, oh, what – can I make funny or not? It's like, well, what is funny about me or my right. quirks or my perspective that you can then turn into funny material? Yeah, and it's uh, with this with the new hour that I'm writing is using a, a jumping off point is using my old set list and topics and going, okay, has anything happened that is similar to this oh, that, that I have new takes on or views? So like one of them is horror movies. I love horror movies. If I could show you my basement right now, I have an original Nightmare on Elm Street poster. I have a wall of sequel posters. So it's like Scream 2, Psycho 2, Halloween 2. I love horror movies. So in my on my album, Spitting Image, there's a bit about how, how horror movie killers don't look like me because you'd know who they were. There'd be no mystery. Um, that bit also has that in horror movies, if they introduce a dog, that dog's going to get killed and my wife hates it. She can watch a million teenagers get slaughtered, even kids, but a dog or an animal, that's when she has a gripe. Um, So I was like, okay, horror movies is part of my old set list and outline. What other takes on horror movies do I find funny? Well, we um i used to do a podcast where all we would do is watch horror movies so i've i've seen enough good and bad and i've also had the gripe that thank god cell phones didn't exist in old horror movies so like janet lee's character in psycho would have never stayed at the bates motel if she could have pulled up yelp and been like oh the guy who owns this has some real serious mommy issues i'll go to that bed and breakfast down the road or like you know or if they had cell phones at Nightmare and Elm Street where they could like, they could wake you up with an alarm at a certain time or whatever, like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, so I start looking at it with what I've already done as a nice access point to hopefully open, again, open a door for something that I'm already passionate about because the confidence that you can put on stage with what you're presenting, even if it's the first time you've ever said it, an audience even if they aren't wanting you, most of the time an audience 
you should have in your head once you just succeed. They want to have fun. They want to have a good time. Every now and then there's the asshole who's the funniest person from their office, which they will self-proclaim after the show. Um, and his name's usually like something like Jerry or Dale. Um, and there's a very few amount of those. And most of the time the audience will rally against that person and shut them down for, shut them down for you. Uh, if they're a heckler, but everyone has come there to give their time, to have a good time. So if you are confident with what you're talking about and passionate, then they already accept what you're saying. And even if they don't laugh, first shows on Friday are a great example of a two show night and a seven o'clock show where they just got off work, rushed to get home, have a shower and maybe grabbed a bite to, to eat before coming to the show. They're tired. They could love the show and you could not mm-hmm. get a laugh or a little True. titters. And that doesn't mean that they didn't love your show. So there's no reason to berate the audience and be like, well, last night, everyone loved that joke. Why aren't you laughing? Just go on with your show. Like, you know what you're doing. You're there to entertain. Like your ego shouldn't be so hurt if they're not laughing because early on in my career, I would do shows and the audience wouldn't laugh. And I'd be like, wow, they hated me. Something I said really set them off. And the people that I was looking at who I, who I could see their faces in the audience they would be like, oh, my God, you're so funny. You're so good. And part of me wants to say a good way to show that you're having a good time is to laugh. But you don't know what their day exactly. was. Exactly. So, oh, yeah, Mike, uh, Mike saying this is the most useful info I've heard from one live show. Great job, both you guys. New and permanent fan. Awesome. Yay. Bye. The album. It's linked in the comments. If. um. Glenn, if you want to repost it as well. So what? Yeah, and leave a review. If you buy it on, uh, if you buy the physical copy on circustrapeze.com slash Ricky Glore or Circus Trapeze, you can go there. If you get that, you get a digital download too. So don't feel like you're buying an archaic piece of media. You can still get it on your phone or whatever device you listen to. You just get a cool physical piece, uh, which I still like having you know like a vinyl or something or cd to get that artwork and the liner notes um but if you buy it on like even like itunes or amazon please leave a review and if you can just because it helps me out screenshot your review and tag me on social media like on twitter at ricky glore and just say hey this is my review i hated this guy (laughs) like tag me i do not care like there's no such thing as bad press either Oh, and he said, my name is spellable form of Christos Athensnasoulis. Um, oh, man. I really want to hop on Facebook and see if I can yeah, pronounce it's, this. Um, if I can get any Greek credit points. And um, I see Jake Rubel. Yeah, Jake Rubel. Uh, okay, you can see it. It's... Oh, Christos Athensoulis. Cool. All right. Athenosoulis. All right. Thank you, Christos. Um, let's see. We got uh, a couple more here. This one comes from John Cromarty. Um, you mentioned watching comedian regularly. How much time do you spend watching other comics? Do you watch other people's specials? 
Yeah, I am in a weird spot sometimes when I'm writing and I want to be as distant from other comedians as possible to feel the gestations of new ideas and feel like that I'm not influenced by anything. Again, I watch the comics that I dig. Usually I don't think come from my voice. Um, I grew up watching a lot of old television. As I mentioned, Monkeys, I... I loved watching Hope and Crosby movies, the road pictures, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. Um, not as much the Martin and Lewis, but I liked Dean Martin. They were meaner. Like I Mark Spurt, Three Stooges, because they weren't as mean in the slapstick. Um, like growing up, people would always be like, oh man, like I used to do a Chris Farley impression, especially when I was clean shaven. And I stopped doing it because I hated after shows. People would be like, oh, man, you're the reincarnation of Chris Farley. Mm. Um, I don't know why that bugged me. Like, people had a good time and they remember me. Great, whatever. But, like, my always, the comeback that I wanted to say when I was a younger, younger comic was, well, I like David Spade more. I like Whit more. And I love Farley. I love them together. They are the best they ever were together. Um, my favorite comic from SNL was Phil oh, Hartman. Yeah. That cast, like, Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. Dana Carvey, Kevin Nealon, John Lovitz, Nora Dunn, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, Mike Myers. So like old school kind of comedy and what Phil Hartman did, which then like gave me a great appreciation for everyone who was considered the glue on SNL. That's your Dan Aykroyd, your Phil Hartman, your Bill Hader, Will Ferrell to a degree, but he actually expands a little farther than that. Um, but so, like, I'll watch stuff that maybe ne isn't necessarily stand-up, but is kind of the humor that I'm feeling. So if, like, I'm writing something that is joke-intensive, I might watch a stand-up like a John Mulaney or, or um, Trevor Noah. And um, I'm trying to think of what special... Oh, I really enjoyed... Seth Meyers a special hmm. lobby bait um I, it was I've gotten such more of appreciation for him since he started doing late night with Seth Meyers than I ever did when he was on SNL except for the last couple of years that he did weekend update he is a um he is a comic I really like his mind and his approach if anyone's not listening to it not that he needs plugs but his podcast, which is an abbreviated version of his late night show, even the one from home, he usually does one segment, which is a closer look, which is just on one topic. And then he does a guest. It's a 20 minute listen. It's phenomenal, especially to give you like an unabreasted version of the um, political climate, which I mean, sure, it's biased because he is a Democrat, but he's also a humanitarian, which is that's how I feel that like. Yeah, his leanings may be Democrat, but he's also pointing out the atrocities that are happening from every angle. So, um, yeah, that's what I'll listen to and, or watch when I want to get inspiration. How did this get made with Jason Manzukis? I couldn't be any different, more different than Jason Manzukis. There's another Greek, if you're Greek. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, there are there are also times where I feel like I have to remove myself from anything comedic, comedic, to feel like that I'm getting a um, an earnest interpretation of 
where I want to go with my writing. Cool. All right. Let's um, let's take a few more minutes here. I gotta get out of here at eight thirty. My in-laws are here. Um, <laughs> so I need to I need to go sp- spend a little family time. Joe, what are you doing talking to yourself in that room? Come out here, play Pachisi. Yeah, they hear me yell because I do the right ten club every morning. They've been hearing me yelling every morning at ten a.m. in here. They're like, "Is that his job, honey? This is who you married." Does he make money? Oh, that's the best question to be asked when you're doing comedy starting off. So how much does that pay? Nothing. Right. Yeah. Not a little. How far are you driving? Oh yeah. Let's uh. So let's try to give them like quick, quick sound bites on these last few. Because yes. I want to. I want to get to peeps because I appreciate all y'all hanging out and all the comments. And all the sharing, but all of y'all saying how helpful this is and everything. We really do appreciate that interaction. Um, and also, if you want to ask me if, if we don't get to something or you want something to be expounded on even more, feel free to send me a message via Twitter because I think my mailbox is open or uh, write me a tweet and I will answer it. Oh, I lo- oh, you know what the crazy timing of that is. Justin Williams says, thanks for replying to my tweet today. And he has a question. Oh. That, that's so cool. That's so cool. So he said, yeah, thanks for replying to my tweet today. Have you ever done a show? And actually, real quick, I feel like someone else um, asked that's a, a similar, similar question. thing. I want to make sure. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. And Earl Anderson, kind of on the same line here. So um, Justin asked, have you ever done a show where a set killed one night? But bombs the next. Um, and then it kind of ties into Earl's where it's like he asks, let's see, have you ever had material that killed for a while? And then it's like, meh, how do you handle it? So I guess the overall topic is like, yeah, what do you what do you do with material that maybe kills one night and then the next it doesn't? What's your do you have an approach that you found helpful? I don't think you should berate an audience, but there are some times where the audience sucks and that's okay. Um, It's okay to then go, that was a one-off for whatever the permutations are with sound, with light, with what time the show was, with how the people who organized or the venue put the show together could be out of your control. Also, you could have been off that night. You could have been thinking about a lot of things that you didn't really recognize in your presentation of the show or the persona that you're putting off. Um, That doesn't mean that your failure or what you did was going to be bad like that every night leading on. Um, If you did something one night and it didn't do well the next night, kind of the same answer. There's a lot of variables that I think you have to be cognizant of, of going, I could easily beat myself up and say, it's me. I could easily on the other end of that prism go, the the audience was just awful. Um, I think it's a little bit of give and take, like look at, look at both of those, listen to your audio that you recorded. Or if you're at the stage where I said, audio starting off video is once you need to start, doing precision work on your delivery of your physicality of what things could aid the things that you are saying by the body language that you're giving off or by movement, by pauses, by the way you're showing them by a facial expression. 
those I think are the seasonings to whatever your set is. First, get the audio, then you can do a video. I don't think you need to video record everything. It's just a waste of time. You're not going to watch it. Listen to it while you're going to your next show or you're driving the next day or something. Um, but yeah, if something doesn't work that did work, even if it's the first time you did it, I don't think you should get rid of anything until you've done it 10 times. Mm. And that means also trying it off, trying it in different positions. If you are, if you're like, say if it's your child, which jokes are considered babies a lot of times, you want to give it the best chance that it can at succeeding. So don't put it at the beginning of your show. Even you're really excited because you just wrote it and you're like, this is killer. Put it in the middle every time no matter like how good you think it is do the tried and true opening even if you think this thing's gonna be the new best opening ever don't do it first don't do it last put it smack dab even if it's five minutes do an opening couple killer one-liners do this new thing do your closer um if it's longer set always just put it in the middle and if it doesn't work one night keep doing it uh, part of the, qu the question you asked was, you've been doing it for a while and it doesn't work. Reevaluate how much you're sucking at doing it. So listen to that audio or watching that camera and going, oh, you're not passionate or confident about it. You look like you're just getting through this bit. Mm -hmm. Is that why it's not working? So that means you should do it better or you should just get rid of it. If you're going to deep six your own set every night because you're not not going to give this bit the energy and that it needs if you're over it yeah get over it. like move it along all right so we I hope yeah. that was sound bitey enough yeah that's yeah there's yeah there's a there's some good questions coming in and honestly like um i see you uh my here and robin and michelle and um yeah I, I see your questions here uh but they're gonna be in the comments so even if like you on facebook instead of them tweeting you i guess you could just respond here um and we could figure out a way because i'll release this as a podcast on youtube as well but um yeah, yeah. or uh, it's facebook follow me on my comedian's facebook page and if you want to repost them or whatever i'll answer them there too if that's easier for people Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So reach out to uh, Ricky after you get his album because, um, you know, su support a fellow comedian <laughs> here. It's been posted That's in the comments. That's the prerequisite. Yeah, and, and Glenn, the man behind Circus Trapeze, is good people. I mean, when I was researching, I didn't know if I wanted to do a special or a comedy album, and I was researching both. And Glenn's article about independently producing a comedy album is your one-stop shop for knowing everything about releasing a comedy album. It's, it's the most thorough resource I was able to find in hours of Googling and research. So Glenn is definitely an asset to the comedy community we're going to have on here. So it's all for comics by comics here. And that's why we had Ricky on the show today. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want uh, the hot breath of to know here, Ricky? Did Ricky freeze? <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Wait, were we just wrapping up and then you froze? Oh, my gosh. What kind of timing is that? 
of my shows starting in March got canceled. Uh, oh, am I frozen? Can you hear me? Am I still here? Oh, you are now. Oh, no. oh, what timing? Even okay. even the internet's like, come on, guys, land this plane here. <laughs> but, Been doing this for too long. But reach, yeah, reach out to Ricky with your questions, please. I mean, this this guy is a comedy resource, and he is now like officially in the hot breath of verse. So this is not the last time we're gonna connect. <laughs> But reach out, yeah, reach out to him with more questions. But please go ahead and uh, finish what you were saying. No, I was just going to say since uh, all my shows started getting canceled in uh, March, I'm pretty much, I only have a couple of dates that are still tentative here and there between now and the end of 2020, which would have been a good opportunity to sell them albums. So please buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, gifted to someone who wants 100% clean comedy. And like, physical copy and you send it to someone you put in an address of a friend or a family member so that's a good reason to buy it um the thing that i've been doing to stay creative i did one zoom show which was great glenn put it on and i did it and i had a good time doing it i worked some new material but there isn't an audience there and i I love entertaining. Like I love making an audience happy. So I started doing a weekly YouTube series called weekend pup date mm-hmm. with uh, Norm McDonfell. So it's a puppet that does a kind of an homage to weekend update. It's evolved into a Sesame street meets daily show, but it's every week on the YouTube channel weekend pup date and check it out. Um, it's hosted by this guy. Hey, Hey, I'm Norm McDonald, and I'm just trying to give you the straight dope, baby. So yeah, just come over to Weekend Pup Date on YouTube, and I'll just give you all the news that's happening. We got music videos. We got editorial pieces. We got musical guests. Oh! And look at our back catalog, and we got a lot of ex-SNL cast members who've come on and done some stuff. So, uh, how you doing, Joe? Did you get asked to come on the new, uh, yeah, <laughs> the new Arrested Development series? Yeah, sounds good. Nice nose. I think I'm losing you. Nice nose. What's it's, that? Your nose is taking up oh, the whole yeah. screen. What? No, I don't know how this Zoom. It keeps cutting out. You broke the internet. You're so ugly. You broke the internet. Oh, that's so mean. Wow, you so roast mean. me. Usually I get Seth Rogen. <laughs> I didn't say Michael Sarah was ugly. Well, I was saying I Norm is ugly. canceled on Twitter. I didn't oh, say that. Norm is ugly. It was the sock puppet that said it. I didn't say that. It's Triumph the Insult Sock. That's what it is. Doing sock puppets. <laughs> Yeah, so all I have left is subscribe to Weekend Pup Date. We've got a lot of great comedians throughout the United States who are in the same predicament as me, who are submitting pieces, who are writing jokes. Uh, Luke Knoll, who's a cast member at SNL, submitted a couple songs. Gary Kroger, if you're an SNL aficionado, he was on from 82 to 85 with Julie Louise Dreyfus. Wow. He submitted a whole impression character piece, and it was amazing. 
So yeah, please subscribe to that. It's a weekly show. Yeah. Seven o'clock on Saturdays it drops. Also follow me. Follow me at Ricky Glore on Twitter and follow me on Facebook. Awesome. And we will link. That's all I got. We will link to the album in the show notes and the video description. It's also in the comments here. If you have any other questions that popped up either during this or after, reach out to Ricky. You know, he's he you could tell his heart's in the right place and enjoying not only comedy, but also helping other comedians, which is what we're all about here at Hot Breath. So Ricky, I'm so glad this happened. And uh, thanks for sharing your valuable time and information with us. Thank you for having me. Let me bring out my puppet. Of course. My puppet as well. I just had a character debut that everyone's roasting. <laughs> so that's that's good to know. All right. So go forth, Hot Breath the Verse. Reach out to Ricky with any uh, questions and join our Facebook group if you're listening or watching this. Go join that Facebook group. You're going to learn a lot of comedy. It's all a comedy resource that I wish existed when I started comedy 10 years ago. So we're doing positive things here. And Ricky, you're now a part of it. So welcome to the Hot Breath Verse, my friend. All right, Hot Breath Verse. I hope. This episode inspired you to start creating your own success. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be started. So get out there. Go join that Facebook group and start connecting with other comics that are like-minded and motivated like yourself. And let's start creating great projects together like Ricky Glore is doing. So go into the description. Join that Facebook group. Reach out to Ricky. Let him know how helpful this episode was. And we'll be back on the podcast right here next Monday on... Oh, I got to thank my wife. I thank my wife at the end of all these. So thank you to my wife for making the theme song for the show and much more. So now, until next Monday, right here on Hot Bread. <sighs> <sighs> Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.